Welcome in. It's the BCJ Podcast on BearcatJournal.com. I'm Chad Brendel, joined as always by Dave Simone. Today we will be joined by Billy Embody of the 24-7 SMU site to get a look at the ponies as the Bearcats make their trip to Dallas after their first loss of the season at Temple. Dave and I will uh, recap that unfortunate outcome uh, for a little bit after we talk to Billy, and then uh, I'm sure we'll hit on a couple more things news of the day type stuff i'm sure that uh everyone will be interested to hear from us but uh first off would like to uh talk about taft's brewporium dave i i have to question are you are you going to be back uh this saturday or are you going to uh try to go back into your normal routine uh tbd as most (laughs) people that listen listen to this know i am very superstitious when it comes to the Bearcats, I very, very rarely watch football or basketball games in public. I went to Taft's Brewporium Saturday, and while it was a great time and the beer was cold and the pizza was delicious, the Bearcats lost. So I don't know if I'll be returning ever again. <laughs> well, for a Bearcats game, you'll be returning again. Oh, yeah, for, for a Bearcats game. But that's nothing against them. I don't go anywhere, so... You know, if I were to go to another place where there are actual other human beings watching a game that's not in a stadium or an arena, Taft's Reporium would be the place that I would go. Excellent turnout. The place was absolutely full at noon on a Saturday. So uh, thanks to everybody that joined us. Taft's Brew Company is a massive state-of-the-art brewing facility with tasty food and freshly poured beer. Stop by one of their two locations, Taft's Ale House and 1850's Church turned multi-level brewery and full-service restaurant located in the heart of over the rhine or maybe you're looking for a more upbeat environment that's where we go in case head to task brewporium that features new haven style pizza and a relaxed atmosphere a tap room with over 15 brews to try plus plenty of plenty of bar games and tvs visit taftsbeer.com for info on hours and more once again we will be there for the smu game uh about 3 o'clock, I would say, kickoff at 3.30. Uh, so pop on in, catch the end of the noon games, uh, and then catch the Bearcats and SMU with uh, with with me. I'm not sure with us because we don't know if Dave is, is going to venture out of his house after what happened on Saturday in Philadelphia. But I will be there for sure, so come join me. Uh, let's have another great turnout at Task Brewporium to watch the Bearcats. Now, Dave, uh, welcome in first. Billy Embody of uh, the 24-7 SMU site, and uh, I'll turn it over to Dave to get a preview of the ponies. Awesome. Thanks, Chad, and thank you, Billy, for joining us tonight. Uh, First off, just kind of wanted to get an overview of SMU season so far, three and four on the year. Had a really, really difficult non-conference schedule playing TCU and Michigan, and then also already playing at UCF. So, Kind of where is the team now compared to maybe a month or so ago or kind of once they went through that really hard opening couple weeks of the season? What have you kind of seen from them from that point to where they are now? I think the biggest thing that uh, we've seen over the the course of the season is a growth in, in, I think, belief in the system, especially defensively uh, for SMU. And then uh, some growth as far as maturity and, and buying into what the new coaching staff uh, wants out of these players. When uh, the game ended and SMU had gotten blown out at North Texas to open the season and against a, a, a pretty good North Texas team, I mean, they would be a very they would be a very competitive AAC team, um, especially with Mason Fine at quarterback. But there was not a lot of answers to what went on in uh, Denton to open the season, and there was a lot of kind of panic. Um, with, with really where the program was at and the offensive line was exposed and players were hurt and Ben Hicks did not look like himself and the defense was still definitely finding itself, I would say, um, despite being left on the field for about 100 plays in that game. Um, and so now as they navigated TCU and they navigated Michigan and really uh, they were a pick six away from being down down by just one score at the half at Michigan, uh, this team fights. They play really, really hard. I mean, the defense especially has taken it up a notch. 
uh, schematically, they're so much better than they were a year ago under Van Malone, new defensive coordinator, Kevin Kane, uh, you know, with that coach Dykes made, made the hire. Um, it's probably one of his most important hires since uh, he was hired at SMU uh, has really just improved them top to bottom tackling uh, alignment. Uh, they're making plays. They're uh, forcing turnovers. Uh, like I said, they play really, really hard. Uh, so defensively is probably the biggest step forward uh, on this team that we've seen. They've been improved in terms of special teams. Now that they're kind of playing, I would say, down uh, at their level in the AAC rather than playing against you know, teams with five-star talent like you know Michigan has on the field. Um, and then offensively, it was pretty discouraging in the first half, the way they operated with Ben Hicks, who made his first start in three games um, last weekend. But then they really finished strong and scored 13 unanswered points and two, two touchdowns, two unanswered touchdowns uh, to beat Tulane. So they've, they've just kind of started to get healthy and believe in themselves a little bit more. And it's, it's kind of starting to turn the corner a little bit here. That kind of goes right into my question about the quarterback position. Cause I think from my standpoint, coming into the season, not exactly knowing what, Sonny Dykes is going to do, but I, I felt pretty confident that Ben Hicks is going to be a pretty solid player for them, and he really got off to a, a slow start, and they played another quarterback for a couple of games, if I'm correct, in William Brown. Was that strictly performance-based? Was there any injuries involved there? And then you mentioned this last game at Tulane was Hicks returned to the starting lineup, and I think he played the whole game. Do you anticipate any more two quarterback play the rest of the way, or is that kind of a game to game situation? Uh, I think it is as far as the rest of the way, we'll, we'll see, but I, I do think it's back to being Ben Hicks's job. Um, I, I think the, the final minutes of Tulane and, and how he handled himself uh, after uh, really, I mean, James Prochet, their wide receiver ran, stopped his route. And that kind of led to the pick six against uh, Tulane. And, um, but the way he handled himself from it was really positive, and a lot of the coaches and people I've talked to have said that. So going back to Louisiana Tech in the bowl game, Ben Hicks has been responsible for, uh, I believe it's something like five or six defensive touchdowns for the other team. And at Michigan, to end the half, he made an absolute brutal error and uh, stared down a receiver and just threw it anyway. And it was returned for a pick six, and Sonny Dykes had – seen enough and so it was really accountability thing and they went with William Brown the true freshman quarterback for the second half of the Michigan game and he played well uh the playbook was kind of dialed down and he was just asked to do some simple things but I mean he led some touchdown drives and uh he played really well so they went with him against Navy and uh they won they got him to overtime and Ben Hicks actually came in and won the game for him in overtime and took over the offensive possession for that one uh, they had just worked them enough with all the overtime plays that they had in. And then uh, against Houston Baptist, we saw both of those quarterbacks. And then ultimately they went to UCF. Will Brown got banged up in that one. He had gotten the start but got banged up. And uh, and then they went with Ben Hicks this weekend against uh, Tulane. Uh, William Brown was available, but uh, definitely hurt, I would say. And um, But that, now I just I think it's Ben Hicks' job. I think he's settled in. He's He's back to being a little bit more relaxed. He doesn't feel like he has to score every single possession, and I think that's been the biggest change for him over the course of the season. From a rushing standpoint, 120th nationally, little over three yards to carry. Braden West, leading rusher, but over the last three games, he only has 100. Or I'm sorry, only has 27 carries over those games. How would you characterize the ground game for SMU? Is it uh, heavy is it party offense? Is it kind of an afterthought, like with with the way that Dykes uh, calls the plays? No, they're they're committed to the run. I mean, they were almost. I think they were something like forty and thirty five in terms of uh, uh, total total run uh, total pass plays versus run plays. So they were pretty close to fifty fifty um, against Tulane. They they still want to run the ball, and they're getting better at not getting away from it. Um, but right now they're just they're they're not getting a great push along the offensive line. They're they're struggling with some injuries. I think um, they started a true freshman at right tackle who they really liked as far as the bye week went, and he got better as the game progressed against Tulane. But 
Yeah, I mean, the offensive line is just a total work in progress. I mean, it, it, it really is, and there's probably not going to be an answer for it this season. And so I think you're seeing a lot of the uh, running backs kind of struggle because of that. Um, Braden West has been really a warrior, but Xavier Jones and Cayman Freeman are just now getting healthy. So um, they'll have those guys back, I would imagine, against um, Cincinnati or continue to have them available against Cincinnati, and we'll kind of see how they go. But, um, you know, for as talented as a backfield as it is, they've, they've struggled to find any sort of running room this year so far. James Prochet, leading wide receiver, one of the best receivers in the American Athletic Conference. Uh, you know, eight touchdowns, definitely the main target for whoever's playing quarterback. But who else has kind of started to emerge as, you know, secondary or, or third outlet for uh, Hicks? Well, when healthy, uh, and SMU got C.J. Sanders back, the Notre Dame and um, – they got him back for this one, and, and he, he made some plays. And then Reggie Roberson uh, made some plays um, as well, the, the transfer from West Virginia that they got. So, I mean, they, they, those are kind of their, their two other options, but they just haven't been consistently healthy this year. So um, those are the two other guys outside of Crochet that they really lean on and rely on. You talked about SMU improving considerably from last year defensively. It's no secret Cincinnati's going to line up and try to run the ball. They've done it every game. Michael Warren, four straight games over 100 yards. How does that match up with what you've seen from SMU's defense? Well, they faced a pretty difficult uh, offense in a way uh, against Tulane, um, a running, running, very run-heavy offense. Uh, Jonathan Banks and that that group of running backs just kind of gave them some problems here and there. But ultimately, they kind of won out in the end. Uh, they they played more physical than Tulane and ended up kind of overpowering them. And I think they, they allowed just 11 total yards of the last two drives and really just kind of clamped down and won the fourth quarter. So um, that's what they're going to try to do. They're just kind of going to try to rotate. That's what I've seen out of them uh, against Tulane. They rotated a lot. And uh, they're just going to try to be more physical and, and play harder. Who are some of the individual standouts that you know, our fans need to keep an eye on when SMU's on defense? Uh, Richard Moore has been all over the field. He leads uh, SMU in tackles for loss and sacks. Um, he had a key uh, strip sack of Jonathan Banks to put that game on ice last weekend um, against Tulane. So he's a Texas A&M transfer. He's very active, very physical. Um, Jordan Wyatt hasn't been as great as he was. Uh, he's coming off the ACL injury a year ago, and I think he's still trying to kind of find his way, but he, he played, he's been playing better. Um, Rodney Clemens has had a, a pretty strong season, and he's pretty physical at the safety position. Um, Trevor Denbo is kind of all over the field for them at linebacker. And then uh, defensively, on, along the defensive line, they, they, uh, they really rotated a ton of guys. Turner Cox has had a good, good season, I would say, and um, – you know, like I said, they're, they're rotating a lot. So it's not really one on the defensive line, especially that they've got to watch. All right. Chad, do you have anything for Billy? Uh, not, not UC SMU related, but uh, for those that don't know, uh, Billy also works for our uh, SMU, or, uh, LSU site. And I uh, just wanted to say, I think the Joe Burrow situation probably turned out best for both as uh, Cincinnati seems to have found their quarterback of the future uh, or at least a, a very viable option for their quarterback of the future in Desmond Ritter. And uh, LSU seems to be doing all right with Mr. Burrow. <laughs> Things happen for a reason, and, and it's been fun covering Joe Burrow. He's a uh, a character, one, so he's, he's a great guy to be around and, and cover on a day-to-day basis. And then, uh, obviously, things are going very, very well for them uh, on the field as well. They hit the bye week and got a big, big game uh, here in Baton Rouge, uh, against Alabama on November 3rd. It'll be a 1-4 matchup if everybody kind of holds steady in the polls this week. But uh, he's been excellent, and he's got two years, so I think it's worked out for both teams for sure. All right. Thanks, Billy. We appreciate it, man. Have a great day. Thanks, guys. You too. That's Bill Embody. You can go ahead and hang up, Bill, anytime you want. Um, That's Bill Embody from our uh, SMU site on 247sports.com. And – Interesting game with the with SMU because 
I think this is uh, uh and you know not breaking any news here, but I think uh, an incredibly important game for Cincinnati. Dave is you know you if you win this one, I think you're in really good shape down the stretch. You lose this one, all of a sudden you're on a two-game losing streak with Navy and the two Florida schools coming up, and and things kind of get a little dicey as to to where things are at for this team over the final four games, five four games of the season. So uh, I think this is a pretty big one for the Bearcats in terms of uh, importance. Oh, for sure. You know, we coming off a loss, going back on the road, you never quite know how your team's going to respond you know everybody's riding high at six and oh and you kind of drop one that you know we'll get into but i'm sure they feel like they kind of gave that one away so you know how are you going to respond against the team that you know you you know for being honest i think you a better team than smu and there's some areas where what uc does you know well even more so probably uh, helps them in this matchup. But again, coming off the first loss, you're just not, not sure what you have. And there were, there were some, some issues that popped up and hopefully those get corrected. But, you know, I, I don't think what they're going to see defensively, even though SMU is better than they were last year, what they're going to see defensively this week, I don't think it's anything like what they saw defensively last week. So, um, you know, hopefully that helps them kind of get back on track from an offensive standpoint. Yeah, I mean, the, the overall vibe I got today was, a, I mean, and as you'd expect, it's it's a bit of frustration because they feel like it was one they should have had. And rightfully so, they feel like it was one they should have had. I mean, it, it's a game that, that was in their favor. It was a game that, that they had – all the way until the end. Um, and, and when you give one of those away, I mean, it's, you know, it, there's a lot of second guessing. There's a lot of questioning. There's a lot of, you know, why did that happen? Um, it, so, uh, you know, uh, that's the general consensus I got. Um, we'll get into that real quick. But first off, I want to let everybody know, head to 513shirts.com. Drop down on partners and you'll see Bearcat Journal. And when you do, you can start your uh, your own collection of BCJ merchandise. We've got the Red Helms, uh, red and black T-shirts and hoodies uh, that are on sale now. And also, if you were at the watch party, you got a chance to get a look at the, uh, the new Bearcat Journal logoed shirts. I got my hoodie in the mail today. Awesome. Very comfortable. Fit great. Uh, very, very happy uh, with how those have turned out. And uh, you got one, too. What'd you think? Oh, love love the, uh, the the design on the T-shirt. Stickers are awesome. Slapped one on my car. I did too. So uh, yeah, every they're uh, everything's looking good so far. So hopefully our our fans are uh, enjoying the the Bearcat Journal gear. And hats are coming. They should be in here in the next week or two. Uh, the patches are on their way. Um, we'll have uh, we'll have like the uh, the flex fitted. Um, it used to be, you know what? Uh, I forget the name. the The baseball type fit, uh, but now they're yeah. The, I know. The, I know what you mean. The stretch flex fitted hats, and then also some trucker hats. Um, I, I got I got one of the Republic of Cincinnati hats. Uh, the five one three shirts also does. I got one of those at the tailgate. It's actually incredibly comfortable. I'm not a big trucker hat guy. I prefer the flex fit. Mainly because I have a gigantic head. Um, that's you know when you have a big brain, you got to have a big head, uh, right? <laughs> but I it fit great, it, really, really comfortable. Probably the most comfortable like trucker style hat that I've ever uh, put on. And then the uh, the flex fit ones uh, are going to be there as well. So there'll be a couple different designs you can pick, uh, and those should be here in the next week or two. But support us. Support the guys at 513 Shirts. They are huge Bearcat fans. Um, they're working with Republic of Cincinnati. They're working with the Den. Uh, a, a nice little uh, collection there at 513shirts.com. They are big Bearcat Journal guys as well. 
Um, I've known those guys for a long time. So help us all out. Support us. The Red Helm. I got a couple. I got a Red Helms, uh, a red T-shirt, and a black T-shirt in my uh, care package today as well. And and those things. I was trying to come up with a, des- a design for the Red Helms idea when we first got into this, and what they designed is like. 4,000 times better than anything my brain could have come <laughs> up with. We we were talking about it. We had bounced back a couple ideas back and forth between us. And, and I talked to uh, the, the guys at 513 Shirts. And within 20 minutes, he sent me like a sketch. He's like, what do you think of this? I was like, "Uh, your brain is so much better than mine. <laughs> yeah, my, mine doesn't really work that way either. <laughs> I, 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 so I, I, I wasn't much help. I struggle with stick figures. Like... That's that's my uh, artistic prowess is stick figures. Uh, those guys do uh, do awesome stuff and uh, the Red Helms. Uh, it's a great a great inside joke for BCJ fans. Um, so so pick pick those up. Like I said, you go to five one three shirts dot com. You go under partners. You drop down on partners and it says Bearcat Journal, and that's where all of our gear will be going forward. So uh, Christmas coming up. Get yourself some five some some five one three. Shirts gear, some Bearcat Journal gear. Uh, I've heard a couple of you have, uh, if you spend 55 bucks, you get free shipping. So a couple, uh, I've heard a couple people have gone in and bought some BCJ stuff and then doubled back and bought some of the 513 shirts merchandise to get your uh, your your total up over $55. Uh, and in doing so, you're supporting all of us, and that is uh, much appreciated. So thank you if you're out there. Um, Temple, man. Do you want to finish SMU and then move to Temple? Uh, we'll do Temple, and then we'll we'll come back to SMU for predictions. Okay. okay. Um, just frustrating, man. I mean, that was the first, you know, you have uh, Des Ritter fumbles, gets it poked away. They recover. You have an incredible defensive stand at the four-yard line. Um, sudden change like that, you put your defense in a terrible spot, and they didn't let SMU do anything or excuse me, they didn't let Tulane do anything. And oh, the next kickoff, James Wiggins fumbles. They're at the 16-yard line. They didn't score. I don't care what anybody says. They didn't score. But on review, they were awarded a touchdown. I still don't know how the hell that was overturned. Uh, and you're looking at a 10-0 deficit. And they haven't, they've started slow this year, but it hasn't been catastrophic. That was pretty catastrophic in terms of, of starting the first six minutes of the game. But from there, they dominated until the final three minutes. I mean, that defense, or final five minutes, I'd say, because SMU was moving, or, God, see, I probably should have just finished SMU and then moved on, because (laughs) Tulane was dominated for that entire... Or or Temple. Temple. Tulane twice now. I'm all over the place. Temple. You want me to take it? You know yeah, go ahead. Go. I'm all I'm off. I'm way off. <laughs> but yes, yeah, what you were saying, the the start was awful. But I think the part that kind of bothered me the most just from a fan's perspective is they got over that. They took the lead and then it was just it just was kind of like they were trying to hold on and they weren't playing to win. Now I know that, you know, and we kind of just started to see some of the things that we had talked about that maybe could happen against a much better defense on the road, a much better opponent overall. I think, I don't think anybody would argue that the the blocking in the passing game was not very good. I mean, Dez did not have a good game, but he did not really have much time to get to a second read, to get to a pass further downfield. I think he finished 14 of 33. He just didn't feel comfortable. And we kind of knew that at some point that was going to happen. I mean, he's still only in his seventh start. So that was kind of an issue. He couldn't get comfortable. We knew Temple's pass defense was good. They clearly locked up the wide receivers. I mean, they didn't do anything. So, you know, anytime it was third and long, it was, it was very hard for them to manage a first down. And then the defense comes up with two big turnovers late in the fourth quarter, and the offense couldn't get a first down. And I think that was kind of where I started to feel like, can the defense really 
stop them again because, you know, from from the point when they scored in the – they had almost a 10-minute drive in the third quarter when they scored. And from that point on, they only gained about 35 yards or so the rest of the game. And it was just kind of not being able to get a couple key first downs. Um, you had a, a taunting penalty that you might not have thought was a big deal after the second interception, but – if you get those 15 yards and then you don't get a first down and James Smith kicks the exact same punt instead of having it on the 25 when they started their drive when they tied the game, maybe they have it on the 15 and maybe it's a different play call and, and you just never know. But so just kind of some of the issues that we had started to see creep in a little bit kind of all – came together at the very end there and it was just you know kind of a perfect storm to where they just couldn't hold them out anymore they had been so good defending the pass all day and you know Derek Forrest gets kind of lost on a switch route uh you know in the end zone for the tying touchdown and then they're probably their quickest fastest receiver Isaiah Wright just kind of beat Cam Jeffries for the touchdown in overtime and there were, the safeties weren't able to get there in time, but you know, so just kind of some of those things that we were kind of dreading, you know, bubble to the surface and that's kind of how you, you lose a close game like that. But you know, with the, with all the things that happened, I'm not one to really blame officials. It was kind of, I mean, like you said, I don't. With the angles that we were shown on TV, unless the officials had a different angle, I don't know how you overturn that touchdown. And then the whole fiasco with the field goal of putting the ball in play, kicking the field goal, but then saying it wasn't ready for play. I, I'm. I don't. Still don't really understand that. So, but but again, you know, Cole Smith has to kick, make those field goals. He missed two field goals under 40 yards. Yeah, the 49-yarder so the, the I kind of get. It's a long kick. Right, and it's it's a 37-yarder and a 37-yarder, 39-yarder. you got to make those. Yep. Um, so, you know, you go one for four in field goals. You give up two turnovers inside your own 20-yard line. You know, you're just not – and you're not dynamic enough on offense against a good defense like that. So when you get a lead, you got to find a way to get some first downs. you got to find a way to generate some plays. And I just kind of thought it got too conservative. There was, I still think there's too much running right up the middle. You know, we saw the Charles McClellan touchdown run. I wish we maybe would have seen a little bit more from him. Um, I just think defenses are keying in. They're bearing up right on Jakari Robinson, and they're, you know, pinching, pinching the inside, even Mike Warren's touchdown run was kind of an inside run that he bounced to the outside and then made a guy miss. So, you know, some minor tweaks. And, you know, I hate being the play-calling, criticizing type because I don't scout, I'm not in meetings and all those type of things. But I just kind of started to see a few tendencies that I hope that they're able to address in these last five games. Yeah, I I think the big thing is – with a defense like Temple, especially a defense that is has been known this year for the big play, it was only the second time this season they didn't have a defense or special teams touchdown. You've got a redshirt freshman center, a redshirt freshman quarterback. You're not getting a lot of separation on the outside. Um, it shortens what you can do in terms of your playbook. And hopefully that's a one-time thing. Hopefully that was a result of the fact that, especially against the, the pass, Temple is very good at what they do defensively. They're good at disguising their coverages. They're good at getting to the quarterback, like you said. Uh, they're good in coverage, whether that be the way they play zone or you know, in man, whatever the case may be. Um, that's a team that defensively just makes it really difficult for you to throw the ball, even for a veteran offense much less one that's, you know, relying on a lot of youth. So hopefully that is a, a one-time deal and we'll see things be a little bit more creative uh, as we get into SMU. And then, you know, I, I think 
offensively as as we get down the road looking at Navy they you know I, I think they'll be all right in that situation but yeah I, it's hard to tell how much was them being too conservative and that and and it being Temple taking away a lot of the things that they wanted to do and they just maybe weren't in a position to uh to make them pay for it so yeah just frustrating uh, an absolutely frustrating loss that nothing else you could say about it yeah um back to smu as we uh as we we move forward i i did and i kind of joked about this in the interview i'm going to put up with uh cortez broughton a little bit tonight and i sent you a text about it so we're we're sitting at the press conference today and in walks Garrett Campbell. Garrett Campbell had surgery almost exactly three weeks ago. Had a plate and six screws, seven screws put into his ankle. Garrett Campbell's not wearing a cast. He's not wearing a walking boot. He's not on crutches. He's running in a pool. He's close to running on ground, actual ground. I am stunned <laughs> at his progress from well, this. He's a doctor. He probably fixed himself. <laughs> I am stunned. And, and there's been some running jokes that, oh, don't worry about him. He'll, he'll, he'll fast. He'll be back by SMU. Or not by SMU, but by USF. And it was like, come on. And I don't know that he's going to be back by USF. I would say this. I feel really good that on senior day, that dude's going to be with his team. And I, well, that's here, here's unbelievable. the thing, too, with him. Being a sixth-year guy. That's it. He know, he knows this is it. And he's, you know, where they might be a little more cautious with someone, you know, redshirt him, figure out a medical. He's going to be like, do whatever you need to do. I'm playing. Yeah, but... He's not in a cast three weeks after major ankle surgery. Oh, I know. I mean, it's unbelievable. Guys, you know, with, with with medical staff now and and the way just certain people are, you know, you used to, you know, you you have a break like that five years ago. Even you're you're you know you're out for the year. Oh, it's I two was, three months. I was talking to somebody. Issue, and then you do the re, then you have the rehab, and yeah. I was talking to somebody today. Hell, 20 years ago, that could have been a career-ending injury. Oh, for sure. To have to do that to, your, to, to your, your ankle. Yeah. And we're looking so at... Hopefully, hopefully might... that uh, stays on track and Bearcats can get him back in some some fashion maybe for the last, you know, three, two games. Yeah, I think, you know, I think a big thing as well... Um, you know, let's say here in a couple of days he is able to start, you know, running on solid ground. And then you're looking at maybe by the time you get to, to get, you know, you get past Navy and you get into that USF week, maybe he is back out on the practice field. Not necessarily, you know, full blast practicing, but he's out there with the team. You have to think that's a lift for those guys to get their captain, their leader, uh, the, the, oh, yeah. the anchor of that offensive line back there out on the field with them. Um, just the, what he's done in terms of recovery is unbelievable. Um, but SMU, uh, I feel pretty good about this one. I, I was, I was talking to a lot of people today before chaos hit, uh, in my yeah. life, I was talking to some people today and they were, they were very, very pleased, very happy, uh, with how the team responded, uh, when they showed up back on, in the facility on Sunday. They were mad, but it wasn't, uh, you know, displaced anger. They were mad at themselves for allowing that to happen. They were mad at themselves for for letting it get away. And uh, I think you're going to see a pretty focused team when we get when we get to action. Three thirty uh, kickoff on Saturday. Task Reporia, make sure you're there. Um, but I. This team seems like it's able to handle something like this. We're going to find out one way or the other. But they seem like they're much more able to to handle this uh, than they have been in years past, where a loss has kind of sent them spiraling. Yeah, and I think not saying there's a good or bad opponent to play. You know, obviously, come off the loss, you'd love to play UConn, 
but um, you know they already played them. So playing an SMU, I think the clear issues against Tulane were offensive, whether they were self-inflicted and or Tulane or Temple. Temple. Now I'm doing it. <laughs> um, gotcha. But Temple's defense, like I said earlier, big big step up from where SMU's at, and I think the number that kind of ca- caught my eye the most, given where UC's issues have lied, is their SMU's 85th nationally pass efficiency defense. So I think, or I'm hoping, the receivers will have a little better chance to get open. Um, they're not, numerically, they're not very good against the run. Uh, they're very bad on third down defense. And I, I, I'm just not that worried right now with UC's uh, defense. I mean, two, Temple's got a pretty good offense. I mean, they put 35 up on Maryland. You know, they, they've been getting better and better, and they pretty much shut them down. I mean, they gave up a, a so-so touchdown for starting at the 10-yard line, and then they gave up one drive, really. I mean, they really gave up one drive all game. And it was just at the worst time possible in the game. But I'd, so, say, I'd say two. The Gilbert interception, that was a pretty serious drive. And then Gilbert oh, well, ended it with like the pick. Scoring drive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Scoring, yeah, yeah. I get they you. ended up in points. But, but yes, really, I, yes, only two drives all game. Yeah. And, you know, hopefully, you know, it sounds like SMU has some issue, some issues running the ball because of their offensive line. Might be starting a, a freshman at tackle in his second ever start. So, you know, you see kind of – I think they didn't get the sack numbers, but I thought they were still – productive defensively as far as making Russo uncomfortable. There were several throwaways. He obviously threw three interceptions. So I think they can have a similar type of impact uh, this week. And, you know, I, I think this is, you know, a good opportunity for them to bounce back and, and get, get going again, especially offensively. I concur. Um, What are you thinking score wise? Uh, I'm gonna go thirty. I'm gonna go thirty-five seventeen. I I was thinking something similar to what we saw with Tulane, being that uh, they played so close with Tulane. I mean, it, that those teams seem pretty even. Mm-hmm. Um. Thirty-five twenty-one is what I'm going to go with. I was calculating the math in my head. Thirty-five twenty-one Bearcats. <laughs> they play well. They get back on track. Des Ritter bounces back and has a pretty solid game. Um, I think that's where uh, I think that's where I'm headed. All right, let's do this. So, news breaks today. Larry Davis uh, involved in a uh, federal case. Of, he's apparently pleading guilty tomorrow of misdemeanor assault on an airline, um, apparently with a 23-year-old woman. And based on the statement from athletic director Mike Bone, they were aware of this. Uh, Larry Davis was going to be terminated, and he retired. Um, ultimately, I mean, something was off. I mean, it wasn't that hard to figure out from the jump. Something wasn't right. It didn't make sense for him to retire a month before the start of the season. So I I think that was a lot of people had that feeling, right? I mean, the. Something like that doesn't yeah, that just was the, pop up. You're, okay. You're, you know, it was actually the opening day, opening Sunday of NFL. So September 10th, let's say, something right around there. There's, there's two reasons, there's three reasons that a basketball coach would leave at that time of the year. He got in trouble with the NCAA. 
Yes, something's with his health or something is awry in his personal life. You're not Larry Davis was not just retiring out of the blue, calling it a career a month before the season started. Right. Like and also we, we say sixty two years old. The guy is looks like he's forty five fifty at most. Like excellent physical condition. This is not a guy that looked like he was on the back end of his career. Correct. So what I when I started digging into this as it happened I was assured it had nothing to do with the NCAA. I was assured that it wasn't health-related and that it was something personal. At that point in time, I kind of checked out like that. Okay. If something comes up later down the road, something comes up later down the road. But in terms of the future of the basketball program, it wasn't NCAA-related. They weren't facing sanctions and the NCAA wasn't coming to town. And as somebody that's known Larry now for 13 years personally, I wanted to know that it wasn't health related and I was assured it wasn't those two things. So that's kind of where I checked out on it. Like I think in light of what all's come out, I think, you know, they, they handled it the right way. I think I understand some of the the skepticism on why you allowed him to announce his retirement, but he retired like legally. He like he obviously he knew a separation between himself and the university was coming. So he came in and he tendered his retirement. And from what I've been told, there's not a severance package. There's not, anything in place where he was going to continue to get money from the university. They parted ways. Maybe they were a little light-handed on the release on when it happened, but ultimately they did the right thing. There was something they weren't comfortable with and they went in a different direction. And yeah, I guess you can, you can have, issue with some of the, the the small details about this but this was handled directly by Mike Bone this was handled in the athletic department office this wasn't something that was handled as we've seen sloppily in other places through the head coach and then to the athletic department um, it was handled from the top down and when they had what they felt was a reason to make a decision they were ready to make that decision Everybody moved on, and now we're a month later. And, yeah, it's unfortunate that that he's put himself in this situation. But ultimately, you know, they did what they had to do. And in this climate, that's all you can ask for, I think. Yeah, it seems like they handled it the way they're supposed to. And, and I, you know, from our standpoint, and you're obviously more – ingrained than I am we're you know we're not an investigative type of platform so you know I don't really think it's for us to go digging to try to find out if we're being told the truth or not like if you're told it's not NCAA related and you're told it's not health related and it's personal well to me that means it's personal now personal ended up being legal yeah also and then became public but at that point in time personal was personal and i don't think that's for for us you know to go digging into someone's you know life in that way and you know because personal also has two sides to a story now obviously this has come out and it's public and whatnot but we i would hate it if you know we started getting some information and then it gets around or whatever. And then all of a sudden none of it was true or, you know, that's just not fair. And, and I, I think, you know, we handled it the way we handled it. Other people want to take an investigative position with it. That's fine. I don't have a problem with that. That's their job. Um, 
but it's just unfortunate because, you know, Larry had been here for a long time and, you know, I don't, from a basketball standpoint, he'll be missed, but you can't do that kind of stuff. And, um, you know, that's kind of really all I have to say on it. Just not a, not a good situation for him and, and, you know, wish it never happened. Exactly. Terrible situation. It's unfortunate because like I said, Larry is somebody I've gotten to know. Um, I hate to see him find himself and, and put himself in, something like this, but I mean, it, it's pretty cut and dry. Um, as far as the re Mick Cronin's reaction or, or the fallout from it, uh, it was announced yesterday that Greg Yankowski, uh, was promoted to assistant and that Mark Berger, um, is moved from director of basketball operations to assistant to the head coach. Um, there apparently will be some, some additional game day uh, duties associated with his new role, uh, some preparation duties associated with his new role. And then TJ Wolf and Jaquan Parker uh, will kind of tag team uh, what Greg Yankowski was doing in terms of the video coordinator uh, and some of the analytics and, and some of the back end stuff. So, um, this was always most likely, uh, as I've kind of hinted at on the board, there was some hope, uh, that Mick could get, you know, a guy that he's known for a long time and Ralph Willard, uh, to come in and fill that role. But Ralph Willard, uh, is enjoying retirement and decided that that was not a route that he wanted to, uh, to take. And personally, um, I'm a big Greg Gankowski guy, really bright guy really knows his basketball um cut his teeth at kansas before he ended up at cincinnati has has done a great job while he's been here and i'm thrilled to see greg get the opportunity uh to cut his chops and and work his way into the coaching profession because i think down the road and it might not even be far far down the road i think he's going to be a head coach uh just from getting to know him and, and getting to know what he's about and how, you know, his, his knowledge and ability to, uh, to teach the game and, and be around the game. Um, he, he's was named one of the 30 young minds under 30 in the college basketball world. And I think it's interesting. It's going to be interesting to have a little bit of young blood on that staff and, and see how that, you know, maybe shakes things up as we go through this season and we'll see if maybe he, you know, there, there's always the, the possibility that he does a great job and earns Cronin's trust and, and he finds himself at the be- on the bench for Cincinnati long term. And this isn't a one-year interim deal. Um, I think if anybody was going to have that opportunity at this point, I think Greg was that guy. And uh, I, I think, you know, the, for what they had to work through and for what they had to uh, – to, to decide to do, I think he's probably the best fit for, uh, for this season. So uh, really happy about that. Um, red black scrimmage. Uh, we've had a ton of coverage on that. Uh, I know you weren't there, um, but I liked what I saw. I thought it was a pretty good day. I thought the, uh, the, the full squad scrimmage, um, the Friday prior, so a week and a half ago was the first scrimmage. Um, I thought that was uh, much more indicative of the type of uh, effort on defense. You know, those open public scrimmages, like you want that to be fun for the fans. You want guys to get up and down. You you want to play at a, in a, a you know a, an accelerated pace and and have some highlights and have some guys ooh and ah. Um, and the other one was, I think, 65, 62, or 63 to 60 or something was the uh, the final score. It, it wasn't up in the 80s. Um, but I think the biggest thing I take away from those two scrimmages, from witnessing both, uh, Trey Scott looks ready to step into that, that role as the third guy. And this team, if it's going to be successful, needs a third guy. I, I don't think you can go third by third person, third primary guy by committee. 
uh, and just hope that you know one of your host of guys steps up every game and, and fills that role. I, I, I think they're much better off if they've got somebody they know, and especially a post guy. Um, and, and if Trey Scott continues to show what he has shown over the past week and a half, two weeks, um, you're looking at being pretty solidified at the, the two, three, and the four, and I think that's a, a good sign for this team going forward. You weren't there, but uh, any any outside observations? Uh, I think the fans are going to like Lojo. I agree. I, hat tip to my guy Spencer, or, or whoever came up. I think it was Spencer at Varsity that came up with it. But Delonte Midwest, or, or Logan Midwest, is hilarious. <laughs> with the headband and, the, and the, 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 the beard. Really, really funny. Logan Midwest. It sounds like a, like a, like a cam girl from the early 2000s. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. Sure you don't. <laughs> um, but, I mean, it, you know, we're, we're hitting that stretch. Um, not, you know, a lot of practice this week. And then mm-hmm. Sunday, the 28th, is the Notre Dame <laughs> super secret scrimmage. Super secret scrimmage. Uh, hopefully I will uh, have some eyes and ears on the ground in the gym and, and be able to uh, provide everybody with some insight. Those uh, – the the box scores always tend to find themselves somewhere on Twitter, so I'm sure we'll get a look at that, yeah. and uh, I will do what I can to provide some context uh, in terms of of how things stack up. I think it's especially with Ohio State being game one, and Ohio State also having a super secret scrimmage against Xavier, critical I think for Cincinnati to have something like that to get them ready for a big game right off the jump. Uh, I think in terms of planning, that was massive by Mick Cronin to to get that worked out and, and to have, you know, potentially his team as ready as possible for November 7th. Yeah. Uh, you're not probably going to get tested much by Tusculum. No. Uh, you know, a week before the Ohio State game and with only having – one exhibition game, then yeah, I thought it was a a nice move uh, for them to get a you know another high level opponent for a game like that where you can you know I'm sure they I don't know do they play it like an actual game or do they play My guess like is... six or eight qu- quarters and have like some coaching in there? Or... No, my guess is they go pretty full, pretty full blast especially like i said with uh with ohio state coming up you know what 10 days from from that scrimmage yeah Uh, i I think you want to have as realistic as possible um i don't think you want it to be situational i don't think it's going to be we're working on this and you're working on that it's going to be let's play 40 minutes with officials and and get a an actual you know this is also going to be the first time they get a real look at rotations, what the starting lineup mm-hmm. looks like, what the, the bench rotations are going to look like. Uh, personally, and, and you know, Mick might not do this, but personally I, I would treat it as, as realistic as possible, as realistic as what you're going to do 10 days later against Ohio State so you can kind of settle in and, and, and have a feel for things. Um, that's just me. I mean, that, that, but that's, that's the direction I would head in. Uh, if I were them in terms of, of how to handle that. And you know Mike Bray is going to have a good team. He always does. It, you know, the, They might not have some of the star power that they've had in years past, but they're going to run their stuff. They're going to run their system. Uh, and, and trying to stop them and shut them down is going to be a good test for the Cincinnati defense. So um, I, I think that's as ideal as possible. I'm sure we will uh, touch on it some next week on the podcast from whatever I hear. Uh, and I'm able to pass along about the super secret scrimmage, and then yeah, I mean if if you're if you're going off Ken Palm, he put his rankings up. I think last week, UC's 44th, Notre Dame's 59th. So right. you know, 
for a preseason thing, that's probably a pretty pretty even game. I'm thinking actually we might have to go Tuesday of next week again. Because Wednesday is going to be Halloween, and I have an eight-year-old. Oh, and yeah. I don't know if I'll be able to record. Don't on they Wednesday. like prohibit trick or treating after like six o'clock anymore? <laughs> uh, I, it seems like there's a lot of rules now. With there, that stuff. there does seem like there's a lot of rules. I remember running around until like ten o'clock at night, knocking on as many doors as we could to get Halloween mm-hmm. candy, and then next Thursday is is going to be the uh the the test run. Yeah. The grand opening, the grand preview of the new Fifth Third Arena. So uh busy, super busy week hope, next week. Hope it's ready. I think I think it should be ready. Uh, they were uh they were putting the Fifth Third sign on the front of the arena today. And uh it, from everything I'm hearing, it sounds like it's just about ready to go. Um, but I hope it's ready. I mean, I hope the beer taps are working. I think it should be okay there, and there'll be fresh, brand new beer taps. So, it's, yeah, I know, I know, you're fired up about that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that's about it. I don't have a whole lot else to you. No, no, you know, interested to see how team bounces back from their first loss, you know, and uh, excited to get going in basketball. I mean, we're not very far off November 1st. Yeah, November 1st for the preseason exhibition, November 7th for the full season. So we're, what, two weeks in a day, 15 days away from uh, from the Buckeyes reopening Fifth Third Arena against the Cincinnati Bearcats. Uh, that's uh, I'm pretty excited. I think it's going to be that's going to be on a Wednesday too. We might have to do three Tuesdays in a row. Yeah, they're messing with my podcast schedule, Dave. I know. I don't like it. I don't like it at all. But we're versatile here at BearcatJournal.com. Oh, what, before we go. Would like to remind you. Please visit our friends at Trace Pountas. They are a single origin coffee. Trace Pountas coffee is one level higher. Their coffee comes from a single family farm. Specifically, our high quality beans come from the Race Family Coffee Farm located near the town of Trace Pountas in Brazil. They offer gourmet coffee beans in four roast profiles, light, medium, dark, and French roast. They ship the coffee to you in whole bean, pre-ground, or K-cups. How do you get it, you might ask? You can go to www.tracepountas.com slash coffee. That's www.tracepountas.com slash coffee. All coffee orders are roasted fresh for you and shipped out immediately. They offer 12-ounce bags in both whole bean and ground coffee. You can choose between light, medium, dark, and French roast. Uh, What you want to do, you go to the Trace Pountas website. You sign up for a coffee subscription and get freshly roasted beans sent to you every one, two, or four weeks. That's your choice. When you sign up for a coffee subscription, you save 10% off every bag of coffee. Listeners of the BCJ podcast get an extra 10% off by using the code BEARCATS at checkout when buying a coffee subscription. This means you get a total of 20% off every bag of coffee in your subscription with this code when you enter it at checkout. So www.tresponta.com slash coffee. Enter Bearcats at checkout. Save 20% off every bag of coffee in your subscription. I think that's about it, Dave. It's uh, it's going to be interesting. That I'm, I'm interested to see, will Dave Simone make it to the watch party? Go to Taft's Reporium and find out. Yeah, that's that's the only way you could. Uh, that's the only way you can find out is if you check out Taft's Reporium after you go to five one three shirts dot com. Order some BCJ gear. Wake up that morning. Have some Trace Pountas coffee, and then at three o'clock, meet us at Taft's Reporium 
and get your game on. That sounds like a full a full plan. While you got your BCJ yeah. gear on, maybe a Red Helms hoodie, and uh, we'll check out the Bearcats again at Taft's Brewporium as they hopefully bring home a win against SMU. All right, man. I'll talk to you next Tuesday. All right. I'm Chad Brendel. He's Dave Simone. Thanks to Bill Embody from the 24-7 SMU site. We will see you next week on the BCJ Podcast right here on BearcatJournal.com.